Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Craig Fowler, and we are back with our second What a Season That Was podcast. This time looking at the 2000-2001 Scottish Football Campaign and helping me to go through the big highlights from that season is Craig Cairns. Hello. And Andy Harrow. Hello. Hello, guys. Good to have you on. Right, this one is going to be a bit more top flight heavy, I think, than the last one. Firstly, we are, are lacking the expertise of a Sean McGuigan, who was on the last show. But to be fair, I did message Sean and say, this season, anything worth talking about from the lower leagues, anything I can do a bit of a deep dive on myself, or that Andy could maybe do a deep dive on. And he came back basically saying, no, not really. Nothing really much happened that was all that interesting in the lower leagues this season. The most interesting thing was a title race between Hamilton and Cowdenbeath. But if you listened to the last time we'd done one of these, then that was already mentioned. So not a lot to really go with in the lower leagues. But there was plenty from the Scottish Premier League. I was going to call it Scottish Premiership. Not, not, not true at the time. Not true at the time. The Scottish Premier League. I made the same mistake in the first one, Craig. Yeah, Tripped over yeah. myself at the start. Like, what are we calling this? <laughs> Which had its first ever season of the split, the much contentious split that is appreciated, I think it's fair to say, by the majority of the people, if not all the people on the Terrace podcast, but is disliked by the majority of Scottish football fans, I think in general, who just... Don't like the idea of anything kind of gimmicky, I would say, in the top flight. And also, it kind of, it's also a means of it being there and getting clubs the, the funds they need without it being like a, a bigger league. 
and there's that debate that goes on for ages that clubs don't like playing the same teams four times a season, want a bigger league, but with the size of clubs in Scotland and the fact that you don't get as many places for Europe as some other leagues and there's not a whole lot, if you're going to have an 18 team top flight, there's not going to be a whole lot behind that league. So it's like our both would be like a, a top flight team this season, for instance, and there was a reason we got rid of bigger leagues at one point, and if we ever brought them back, we'd probably just get rid of them again because it wouldn't be very good. But this was, anyway, this was the league of the first introduction of the split. And before I throw it to you guys, there was, uh, a, a, <laughs> there was an article I saw, which I just wanted to get a read out. It was from Alex McLeish, who, who wasn't a fan of the split. <laughs> but the reason why is because he thought it would bring out more negative thinking amongst football managers. So let me read out his quotes. It says, finishing in the bottom half of the table for the last five games when the cup comes on is effectively the same as being relegated. That means the fear football we're all trying to avoid will start long before then as teams try to avoid upsetting their fans. They are likely to have the patience for explorations and jobs will be at risk. I've let players like X, Y, and Z go this summer. If I've messed up, I'm well aware the consequences could be dire because of the new league setup. I think Alex was maybe going to be a bit OTT there with uh, what were the potential downsides of a split. What do you reckon, Craig? I think there was probably other factors coming over the hill for Rangers that were going to be dire from them. And oh, sorry, he was, the... was Hibs' manager at the time. Oh, okay, sorry. That's, uh, yeah, okay. Well, is that maybe just an insight into his own thinking and how he was going to... Of course, Dick Advocat was manager of, the, of Rangers at this point, wasn't he? Yes, uh, yeah, he was. That's the final, final full season. McLeish would join the, the campaign after. I'm, uh, I'm ill today. I, well, I had COVID when I did the first one of these, so could I, I request not being on the third one? <laughs> Do you think it's some sort of jinx? Some sort of Ill? curse. Some sort of curse, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's just because um, I, I didn't really look at Hibs much for the season. I mean, to pick up to something that you said earlier, I think it's very Rangers and Celtic focused. That's not just Scottish Premiership focused. Uh, certainly a lot of the things that we're going to talk about. So I didn't really look um, at Hibs too much uh, for for this. But yeah, now that you've said it, of course he wasn't Rangers manager because uh, this was like the high spending Rangers and uh, Dick Advoca. But yeah, I wonder whether that was an insight into his thinking. That is a bit dramatic. It never sort of, since it's played out, I, I can maybe understand that view before it's come in and it's foreign, like calling it relegation. But after the fact, I don't think anybody's seriously saying it feels like you've been relegated because you can finish with this you can finish within a whisker of being in it and then your games become dead rubbers and i think that's maybe more of an issue than feeling like you've been relegated or whatever and the and the financial impact for some teams that sort of budget for it as well but i think i do think that you're right about most people on the terrace being in favor of it but i do think i think it was maybe sean that said a couple of weeks ago i think most people are maybe of the opinion that it's the lesser of a few evils, uh, if you like, because, and and there is still issues that probably could be addressed with the fixture and balance that happens after it and having to go somewhere three times and somewhere else once and it never seeming to impact certain teams and that kind of thing. So there mm. are issues with it still, but yes, I think... Um, I think it's still probably the the it retains the excitement towards the end of the season, and unless you do something completely innovative, innovative and have like playoff positions for European places or 
something or extend relegation playoffs along with that and have a bigger league then yeah I think we're kind of I think we're okay with what we have we we go on about the excitement it creates pretty much every season so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, McLeish actually went on to say, if anybody, if if anybody had actually bothered to ask me what I thought, <laughs> it's like, oh, bloody hell, mate, imagine Hibs, calm down. <laughs> then I would have gone for split Speak the league. To your after... chairman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would have gone for split the league after twenty-two games. That would give everyone a top flight, a total of thirty-six games a season. It would. I would put the top eight into a setup which decides the championship year for cup places, and the bottom four would then join the top four in the first division. Well, that is, that's actually relegation. Finishing in the bottom six is the relegation. That, that, that feels a lot more like relegation and maybe a lot more negative football because, I mean, to Andy, to finish in the top six, it, it's, it's hard to draw your way there, for instance. It's hard to get nil-nil every week and finish sixth on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's... Mickey uh, Mellon managed it. Sorry, no, no, that's, no, no, wait, hang on. Dundee Rain finished eighth that year. No, oh, Dundee, sorry. Uh, Tab Court's team finished fourth. <laughs> well, okay, right. Sorry, Andy. No, no, that's all right. No, I mean, I think, uh, I think generally it's, it's, you know, it sounds a, a, a really obvious cliche, but you're, you, if you finish six, you get there a minute after the, after the number of games that you play. It's not, it's not a fluke to, to get into sixth place, and it's that, you know, you get that weird statistical anomaly where sometimes the team finishing six ends up with less points than the teams in seventh and eighth, but in the grand scheme of things. So what? That doesn't really matter. They're obviously playing harder teams at the end of the season. And no, I think it's interesting. Some of these, when you look back on those type of stories, and you see that actually there's really been no particular issue with the the, the split the whole way through. Generally, it's just sort of accepted as a as a thing that works all right now. And I mean, they could always change it, and it probably again wouldn't make that much difference. But it, it certainly wasn't the the massive negatives that McLeish was painting it out to be. As Craig said, this season was very much top-heavy in terms of the old firm, and we will talk about them a little bit to begin with. But, but there's there's a, two games in particular I'm going to focus on, but I'll, I'll go to you first of all, Craig, because I know you're focusing on the amount of money spent by the clubs at the very top of Scottish football for the season. It certainly worked out for Celtic. They, they splashed out some, some big fees, and they ended up winning not only the title, but the treble, and, and really romping to the title 97 points in the end willing to win the League Cup and the Scottish Cup. Rangers spent big money, but they finished a distant 15 points behind. But And that came after... That came, sorry, despite making the most expensive transfer for a player coming in, and it still remains to this day in Scottish football history. And despite inflation and how wild the market south of the borders got, that would still be an eye-popping transfer fee if Rangers, or Celtic for that matter, were to pull that out for, for someone today. Um, it's, it, it is, you're right, it is, this is sort of um, Celtic and Rangers focused. I think give each of them their, their due in a minute, but I wanted to go through a couple of the, a couple of the other ones just to give a flavour of what was going on. It, it wasn't the wildest season for the other teams outside Scottish football, uh, outside of Rangers and Celtic and Scottish football, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There were a few exceptions to that. I think either side of these seasons, there's examples of some teams uh, maybe spending a bit. So for instance, Hearts are one of the teams that kind of reined in this, this season. But before that, in the seasons leading up, they had wasted money on the likes of Gordon Petrich, who was, who was uh, released uh, around this time. So yeah, but some of the ones that were were Kevin Nichol signing for Hibs. He it was six uh, six figure fee that remains one of the 
biggest fees Wraith has ever brought in for a player. Dunfermline were shelling out six figures for the likes of Barry Nicholson, Andrea Skerla, and Yusuf Rossi. Uh, and Yusuf Rossi, off the top of my head, I remember him remember him getting like a, a wild red card in a game or something like that. But he was they got quite a lot out of those other two, but I don't think I don't think Rossi was really uh, was really up to much. And maybe the wildest one I found was Dundee United paying St Johnston six hundred grand for Danny Griffin. Remember Danny Griffin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vaguely. <laughs> very good on uh, football manager as a youngster. He was a very, very good player to sign when he was at St Johnston. Uh, Dundee United tried it in real life, and it, it didn't really work out. Um, but yeah, as as um, Fowler kind of led with the the headlines are really Rangers and Celtic. I think Celtic's one, Celtic's one's kind of justified by the results. Not only you mentioned the treble, but not only that uh, they went on. This team goes on to the UEFA Cup final and performs well in a UEFA Cup final against a, a budding Jose Mourinho and a, a, and his a Porto side that would go on to win the going to win the Champions League. So yeah, their outgoings kind of justif- were justified in the end. Rangers is uh, less so. So Celtic brought in Chris Sutton. Um, he was he was kind of like a big money flop at Chelsea. So that was that was a wee bit of a risky sign. Right. given the money they spent on him. Ten, Neil 10, million, Ten million pounds. I think he only scored once for Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was off the back of him winning the league with Blackburn and being Shearer's uh, Shearer's partner. Yeah, Neil Lennon cost a fair whack. Yusval Haran, Alan Thompson, Rab Douglas cost a wee bit, and then they got a, a wee bargain and uh, Didi Erga. And then there was a guy <laughs> called Fernando de or- Ornia- Ornales who they got uh, on loan from Zaragoza or something like that, who I have no recollection of. At Celtic or or otherwise, but yeah, those were the those were the players that they brought in. As I said, it's kind of it, it's kind of justified in the end with what they went on to do. Rangers, twelve million on Andre Flo scores on his debut. We're going to speak a wee bit about that uh, later. Doesn't really have a good first season, but then then I was going to say lives up to the price tag of the second season. I don't think any amount of goals would have lived up to the price tag. This was David Murray sort of living up to his. If Celtic spend a fiver, I'll spend a tenner, kind of thing. Uh, or for every five pound they spend, because because five pound isn't that much. So yeah, he said for every five pound they spend, we'll spend ten pound. And this was this was it in action, along with uh, Bert Conterman. And then there was some other better signings like De Boer, uh, sorry Ronald De Boer, Fernando Rickson, Kenny Miller, Peter Lovenkrans, and then kind of varying ones like I mean Jesper Crispinson was just a backup keeper, wasn't he? And uh, Marcus Gale. So, aye. And there's a few others that if you go through, there's lots of kind of free transfers at other teams. There was, like I said, there was, as I said earlier, there was a few teams that were maybe spending quite a lot either side of this, but not in this season, like Kilmarnock and Hearts. But you do look at some of the free transfers and stuff, and there's going to be some like wages getting chucked about there as well. So, yeah, it was a kind of speaking quite flippantly about it at times there, but it was, it did kind of, bring with it years later administrations a liquidation there was i mean there was a lot of there was a lot of bad that came from from this uh, kind of period of spending yeah this was uh, the time before the scottish football sky bubble was about to pop and it popped in a way that scottish football clubs saw what was happening saw what had happened already and, and what was continuing to happen in english football with the amount of money that sky was putting in the game and now that helped the product grow and kind of became a self put perpetuating cycle in a positive way but then 
Sky had kind of taken over rule of Scottish football when the clubs were like, okay, the same's going to happen to us, so let's just spend this cash because they were loaning all this money off the bank. The bank were happy to loan them it because it was like, well, we're going to get this money back. We'll just see what's happening with Sky. And then when it comes to the time to renew the contract, Sky are like, no, we're not going to give you... I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I didn't look it up for this, but Sky were basically like, we're not going to give you much of a, an increase or we're, not, or we're actually going to take it down because Sky... Well, they were getting decent figures for Celtic and Rangers games, and this is what ended up when Scottish football eventually went back to Sky. This is just what ended up happening all the time. It was at Celtic football away games because those are the ones that bring in the biggest audience. They were they were looking at games like between some of the less fancy clubs and only getting like twenty thousand people watching, and went, "Well, this isn't. There's no point in us plowing lots of money into this. There's just not going to be the the market there, other than two teams that are you know a handful at the very most." And then that was where the whole reject Sky's offer, try to do the SPL TV thing, that ends up in the mud. And then the BBC come in with a contract to basically give the club some money. And that was when the bank started going, oh, we don't like how this is going. We'd like some of our money back, please. <laughs> and then it just basically shit at the fan very quickly. But it's funny what you say about Tori Andre Flo as well, because he is a player in Scottish football that his entire, and it's true at the time and it's true still now, he's, he's kind of thought of as a joke figure and as a flop. He scored 43 goals in 87 games. Now, his all-round play wasn't great and that, that made up a lot of it as well. But still, for a goal every every two games, typically that would still play be looked upon as not bad, like at the very least, not bad. Like It's a decent goal-scoring rate. But it was because of that fee and it was always because of that fee that he just... He was expected to do more with that. He was expected to score a goal every game. Either that or be the best player in the park every game. And he did neither of those. He also, he was a 12 million signing for a team that finished 15 points behind the, the <laughs> yes, champions. So, so I think that sort of tarnishes what came after a bit, a bit more, I think. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't even the, the highest scoring Norwegian in the league. <laughs> five or six goals. So, yeah. Uh, you can't, <laughs> it was. It, it, should it be obvious? No, no, it was Arnold Stavrum. Oh, there you I think go. he got seventeen. Arnold <laughs> yeah, Stavrum, who's who's in my, who's uh, probably one of the most famous names in my, uh, my very unfamous phone book. All right, but yeah, it, yeah, because I, I had to find him for the terrace. For oh, that, of course, uh, uh, yeah. Bit, enough, uh, he, he was very recently. nice. I did that video. He was, he was uh, seemed like a, a very nice guy. Um, but the, uh, the it was it's it's interesting that idea that. Uh, I mean, in some ways, it makes sense that the Scottish football thought it, it would just do the same as the the English Premiership when it came to well, just keep we'll just keep getting more and more money for what we're doing. But then, sort of undercut by Craig saying that Dundee United spent six hundred thousand on Danny Griffin. It's like it's, it's not really comparable, is it? There's, there's always going to be a ceiling when uh, that's the that's a level of person that you're you're buying for uh, with all your your uh, your gains, your riches. Yes, yes, quite. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. 
If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, right. Shall we move on? I was going to say one final thing on Tory Andre, Tory Andre Flo before we move on. Rangers did get a lot of their money back. He went for, I think it was $8.5 million to Sunderland in 2002 this was Sunderland this was the dying days of Peter Reid when he was trying to he was trying to what's the uh, regenerate the Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips model that had worked Mm, so well for big guy little guy up front and so he signed Tori Andre Flo and let me just I think it was Marcus Stewart let me just check that yep Marcus Stewart in the same season he only lasted until October and Sunderland finished rock bottom of the Premier League and were relegated. <laughs> but yeah, that didn't, that didn't go too well. Poor Tory. What a terrible name as well, Tory. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's, well, that was not good at the time. Age even worse. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I even realised at the time. Right, I'm going to talk about a couple of 6-2 victories here and I'll start off with one kind of on the theme. Celtic thumping Rangers 6-2 and what was dubbed the demolition, dem- demolition, demolition derby at Celtic Park. This one was early in the season. Rather bizarrely, this game finished six-two to Celtic, and in the very next fixture between the sides, uh, Ibrox finished five-one to Rangers. So it's just a couple of back-to-back absolute pumpings going on there. But this was watching back highlights of this one. It's a rare instance of Celtic getting a dodgy goal in a in an old firm game. The opener scored very early on because Celtic absolutely blitzed them to begin with. They yeah, were three nil up mad. inside twelve minutes with Sutton, Petrov, and Lambert all scoring. Moravchik with two assists and taking the corner for the first. But the first goal, Sutton was offside. He was basically the, the goalkeeper was kind of further advanced than he was, so there wasn't two men between him and the line. And um, I liked a bit from the Celtic wiki, just ignoring the the rules of football, saying despite advocates' attempts to call the first goal offside. The video evidence proves otherwise. I had to look at this about 20 times. Like, I'm like, am I missing something here? No, he's definitely offside. Shouldn't have counted. The, that rule confuses everybody, including officials. I think it's one of these things that's so rare that when the goalkeeper's passed a couple of defenders and, a, and somebody has to make a, an offside decision, I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it confuses people. Like People forget the rule and, and, and you know what I mean? Until it comes round again and there's kind of debate about why it is. And so, yeah, it is one of these rare sort of instances in, in football that I think sometimes catches officials out. Yeah, no, you're right. It does. And there's, there's loads of, you see fans all the time. If you ever watch like games in a pub when this happens, mm-hmm. there's always somebody that's like, no, look, look, he's outside. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, look, or somebody being them. off the pitch in that area or yeah. in the goal and people thinking they're not active because they're off the pitch. That's a kind of similar one. So this game, this was obviously the iconic Henrik Larsson chip. He, he does Bert Cottenham up like a complete fanny and then digs it over <laughs> Stefan Kloss. And Rangers nearly got themselves back into this game because they were 3-0 down and they, they get a goal back and then Rod Wallace. And it was a very tight decision. It looks like his goal. arm's offside. It looks like yeah. he's onside, but his arm is in an offside position. 
I yes, sounded like John Hart's in there. It looks like his arms are, <laughs> is his arm offside? Surely that can't count. But yeah, other than his arm, I think uh, he was he was in an offside position. It looked, but it was it was somebody hitting pause very quickly, and uh, it was not not the greatest footage of obviously no. uh, going going back to these these days. So it's, it's slightly blocky and stuff as well. So can't say definitively, but it looks like they were harshly done by there. What a finish it is, by the way. Yes, yes, but right. So eventually, Celtic are going to gub them, and including the game as well. It's Barry Ferguson getting sent off. Now, this is the main thing I want to talk about this game because I found this news article called "Reconstruction of What Really Happened on the Battle of Bothwell Bridge." Here we go. <laughs> it's Barry Ferguson, written by Paul Larkin. <laughs> well, I don't know. I actually don't know where this has come from because it's because it's one of those free library ones. But well, wait, hang on. Let me see. Sunday Mail. So it's come from the Sunday Mail. Okay. So I'm going to skip ahead. So basically, Barry Ferguson was arrested after getting involved in a, a fracas with some Celtic fans in Bothwell, which is, for anybody who knows, kind of Glasgow and the surrounding areas, one of the you know nicer places to get into a big scrap for a bunch of fans for the ro- local team. But this, I'm going to read a few excerpts for this paper report. We can reveal that Ferguson, 22, arrived at the hotel at the Bothwell Bridge Hotel at 4pm last Sunday, meeting up with Derek, 33, and two other friends. The group of friends meet at the hotel every week for a card game, and despite his red card at Celtic Park, which ended in a humiliating 6-2 drumming for the Ibrox side, Scottish international Ferguson was not prepared to miss out on his weekly fun. Blah, 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 blah. Ferguson was wearing a smart suit, shirt and tie when he arrived at the bar to meet his mates. It seemed many people had chosen the hotel for a quiet drink, believing it would offer that oasis of cabs so rarely found in West Coast pubs on the day of an old firm clash, but it was not meant to be. A group of Celtic fans arrived at the hotel shortly after Ferguson's entourage, obviously intent on celebrating a famous victory over their ancient rivals. Two of the men were wearing Celtic tops, and Ferguson, who spent the night drinking vodka and Red Bull, a brilliant wee bit of information there, <laughs> allegedly complained to staff, about the men wearing team colours. The Celtic fans were asked to put on their jackets to cover the shirts and agreed, but insults were traded between the two groups. Then Ferguson, with apparent disregard for his own safety, jumped in a taxi to his Bothwell home and changed into his Rangers training gear. <laughs> <laughs> he then returned to the hotel bar and continued drinking with his brother and friends. Ah, uh, fucking hell. Full kit wanker. <laughs> <laughs> With the two men who had been asked to cover up their Celtic tops or Sir Ferguson's dress, they complained to management about him. Staff then asked him to change, but Ferguson replied, I am a professional footballer. These are my working clothes. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, staff at the hotel asked both groups to leave, but trouble flared up again when they met outside the Jasmine House Chinese takeaway restaurant. What is certain is that Barry Ferguson received a nasty gash above his left eye. What is not so clear is whether he deserved it. <laughs> oh my god! Not sure. Not sure about that last thought. <laughs> Some local local die. That was in the paper, not me. But it was in the paper. No, no, I know that. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just to make that clear for the audience. Some local spoke of Derek now playing with second division outfit Clyde Bank, pulling a heavy belt from his trousers while Barry kicked an older man. A fan then headbutted the younger brother, leaving him with a gash over his eye, which required three butterfly stitches. Derek was hit over the head by another fan brandishing a bottle of Buckfast. Of course, West Coast. Various others joined in the fighting and paramedics were called to the scene. The police did not arrive until at least 20 minutes after the original, original fracas, by which time Fer- Ferguson and most others had involved in the scam had scattered. 
One of Ferguson's mates was lying left unconscious in the street, while two others needed hospital treatment. Fucking hell. <laughs> they were all taken to separate hospitals to make sure the fighting didn't continue. <laughs> Tremendous. Why do I feel like that's not even a, 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 a sort of standalone incident that when it comes to Barry Ferguson in his early days? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he was certainly like... I mean, I was going to say he matured. <laughs> then I remembered that we, we not long ago had a podcast about Boozgate when he, when he basically had these Rangers game when he was in his 30s. He didn't really mature, mature that much, but I think he matured for the early Ferguson who, to be fair, um, kind of grew <laughs> this up. This Barry Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, for those only listening on audio, Craig is oh, doing sorry. The, uh, the, the, the Vicky sign on the side on, of the, the face. Cheek, on the side of the face. But yeah, like to be fair, he, he did grow up like coming through the ranks at the, or, or at least was in like starring the youth team as the the side that had you know McCoyst, Durant, Gaza, McCall, like that team, Richard Goff, the famous the team that drinks together, quote, the team that drinks wins together, together wins together. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 I think Sean said like <laughs> me and my team used to drink together all the time. We're fucking useless. We never want to watch. <laughs> So yeah, he, he did kind of, and then I think Advocat did kind of change things, and he did mature to become at least somebody that wasn't getting involved in fights all the time, but yeah, not mature enough to end his ultimately end his Rangers career in in disgrace. So that was the first six two game. The other one, uh, which unfortunately I'm going to talk about, is Hibs six Hearts two. Craig, I don't know if you watched back the highlights for this one, but I. Obviously, the second half was a bit of a battering. I didn't quite realise that Hearts were lucky not to be about 4-0 down, or at least four goals down, because they scored early on through Andy Kirk. Uh, four goals down yeah. at half-time, because they were le- their goal was leading a charmed life even before Mixie Patlin and scored those two on the edge of half-time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And took, taking the lead in the first... Made it even more bonkers, taking the lead in the first few minutes. But yeah, it was around that time where... There's a, there a few season period where I w- we'd get battered, lose a few goals, a fair few goals, but our goalkeeper would still come out as man of the match. There was, there were periods around then when like there was there was a game at Celtic roughly around that time where we lost six one and Niemi was man of the match. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he, I, he was like our best player for a for a long time and that kind of thing. So so I. I remember watching this game and Mr. Q's, which has undergone several name changes since in Gorgie. And I think I stormed out. I can't remember exactly how the scoring went. Was it maybe maybe 5-1? I just like, right, I'm leaving and just went home. And then by the time I got home, it was even worse, but we had scored one more as well. Just to, I, I don't know. It was just a I very... Remember cel- I remember celebrating that late Colin Cameron goal because 6-2 is better than 6-1. <laughs> Yeah, but I it was just it was just horrible. It was it was Mixu Patalainen getting a hat trick who was like a real I mean this I, I I appreciate this is all from a hearts perspective, but it was it was a, just a really hard because he was like one of he's like one of those players that you love to have on your team but the opposition absolutely hates. So for him to absolutely run riot and then I I don't know. It was it was a it was a grim night. I don't know I can't really think of much to say about it objectively rather than just my, <laughs> my experiences of it. So he was, Pat Lane was obviously great, scored a hat-trick. Everybody remembers Latape's goal and, and how mm-hmm. instrumental he was in the game. But I think a lot of people maybe forget that John O'Neill and David Zatelli were both 
brilliant that night. John O'Neill, especially one of his, a player who was very good for him, a very effective midfielder who pretty much had his career ended at, at least kind of a, a kind of top flight level during a, a later derby, the 5-1 derby at Tynecastle, where he, I think he broke his collarbone in an early mm. challenge in that game. And I don't think he ever really properly recovered enough to rediscover his form. He was kind of getting on a bit, to be fair, when that happened. So that that was part of it. But he was he was brilliant. And I basically just kind of wanted to use this one to talk about this Hibs season in general. Because I remember, it, obviously, for what it was, it was a very good Hibs campaign. They finished third, they got the Scottish Cup final. This is a team with Frank Sozzi in it as well. But I didn't realise it was so kind of season of two halves. They had, this was, so Hibs had won 11 of their first 14 games. And the only defeat they suffered was at Celtic Park. Yet they only won seven of the remaining 24. And only once in their last 11. So McLeish said afterwards, I read an article about this where it was basically like an oral history or there was an interview. It was an article where a few players who played in this game had been interviewed. And McLeish said, if we kept the whole team fit for the entire season, they would have been contenders. But I could have looked through their squad. The majority of their bigger players played over 30 league games. So there wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't like they had many guys missing for three months at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason was that they tailed off so badly is that they were just a really old team. Their average age against Hearts was over 30. And in those days as well, you didn't have as maybe as much big squads or squad rotation was a thing that was starting to just kind of coming into English football and was proven quite controversial. Like, why would you rotate a squad? Just play your best players all the time. So I think Hibs would have kind of had that approach as well. So they just obviously got knackered in the second half of the campaign. And that was like, going back to McLeish, we mentioned earlier, kind of the hero of the show so far. He was, like, Hibs started off the next season terribly as well. But he got the Rangers job. And he got the Rangers job at, like, the exact right time because had Advocate hung on in a couple of months, you wonder whether Rangers would have actually went to him because Hibs were just... It, 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 by that point, it would have got to almost like a year of football where Hibs were barely winning at all. So he was almost... Because I do remember Hibs fans saying that, that towards the end of his Hibs day, when he left for Rangers, they were like, good, we, we think you've done all you can. We need, we need somebody else to come in. Which then initially turned into a disaster with being saucy, but eventually they recovered with Mowbray, etc. The the uh, the BBC article actually talks about the the one about the the, the match report talks about because uh, Dick Advocat apparently said that he didn't see Hibs's title contenders uh, and uh, the sort of the, the first half of the match report is about how Hibs are sticking it to Advocat after I think uh, so uh, Rangers must. Must have lost to St. Johnson uh, earlier in the day and then Hibs went and, went and hammered hearts. But yeah, I, but I don't really remember Hibs at all that season as being title contenders. Like, and, and that'll that'll be why, because they they, they just collapsed in the, the second half of the season. You know, I, you can remember it's Aberdeen who maybe put up a bit more of a challenge, but it seemed like a bit longer. But yeah, Hibs, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't have particular any particularly strong memories of Hibs challenging that season, but obviously they did for long enough for for Advocate to to get a wee bit stressed about it. Because I think Rangers were fourth at the time, so there were still five points behind Celtic. Though. I don't think Celtic were ever in any danger, to be honest. No, no, certainly not. Right, Andy, we'll stick with you because we will see out this podcast by talking about what Scotland were up to this year in one game in particular. But before we get to that, you're going to tell us all about what was happening in the city of Discovery particularly at Dens Park. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, well, this is the Ivan Benetti, uh, the start of the, the revolution and the Argentinian revolution in Dundee. Uh, where, uh, which was much more short-lived, I guess, than people maybe expected at the time. But Ivano Benetti came in to replace Jockey Scott, who'd, who'd finished seventh the season before with Dundee. So, you know, fine for Dundee to, to finish seventh. But Benetti came in on the back of uh, the Marr brothers uh, were the the two men running Dundee at the time and they'd brought in it's a bit it's a bit vague in terms of Giovanni Di Stefano what his involvement actually was and he, he was he's obviously a bit of a dodgy character uh, he's always liked I always think um, we talk about uh, Di Stefano who was a a lawyer who allegedly represented a, a number of highly dubious individuals that he's always liked uh, who, who's the person who you would say uh De Stefano is most liked with, closely liked with, outside of sport, like what in his actual job. What what would you say the name the name is? Oh, I don't know. No, no. I don't know. Because no. <laughs> well, I don't fucking clue. I only, I only know him as being involved with Dundee. Uh, fair. <laughs> well, well, ho- ho- hopefully, some doubt there is shouting the Warlord Arkan because that's oh, uh, that's who, and it's all and it's always like the oh. Warlord Arkan who was like uh, I can't remember what his actual real name was, but uh, some sort of Serbian baddie from from back uh, back in the past. Plays with Pals with Mihailovic. Yes, yeah, and uh, yeah, and it was anyway. So well, I'm getting off topic a wee bit, but uh, he had a, he seemed to have an influence in terms of this uh, this revolution that they brought Benetti in, who came in with his brother, and uh, it, they basically completely overhauled the the team. Uh, most of the Scottish players uh, went out; they mostly get binned. I think Rab Gordon was one of the few Scottish players that left uh, but was like sold on rather than they, they, they chose to kick out he went to Celtic for a mil- million and a half Rab, Rab Douglas you, call, you called him Rab oh, Gordon Rab Douglas. Who, who did I say Rab Gordon Rab Gordon <laughs> <laughs> it was Rab Gordon <laughs> <laughs> sort of composite of two big tall Scottish goalkeepers there. Um, yeah sorry Rab Douglas and uh, yeah they, they made 15 signings over the over the course of the season so uh, Georgian Nimzadze was the, the first one they brought in and then some guy called Mark Robinson. Robertson from Swindon was the, the last person in March the, the, the following year. But in between that, they had Fabian Caballero, they had Juan Sara, who ended up as uh, top goal scorer with 15. Zurab Kijanashvili, who went on to have a, a successful career elsewhere at Blackburn and various other places. Javier Artero, and then obviously the, the, the main one amongst that was uh, Claudia Kinesia, who was the 
basically generated all the headlines, but it was arguably sort of one Sarah was the was the best signing, and then other other players like Nimzadze and Caballero had uh, had the moments, and I think Nimzadze overall was was pretty good. Yeah, it was class. But it, but kind of weirdly, and maybe maybe it was partly because of the number of players that they brought in, and there was a bit of dysfunction. The, the Scottish players who were left, who were a sort of weird mix of big uh, Scottish centre halves like Stephen Tweed and Lee Wilkie, and then you know Gavin Ray and Willie Faulkner. I mean, it was like you can sort of Sean see McSkimming. That, they, that was a name that yeah, Sean McSkimming was a weird one. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. An incredibly nineties name still uh, still playing in the two thousands there, Sean McSkimming, but. So they had this sort of went on to play of, for Atlanta Silverbacks after the spell at Dundee. Sorry, yeah, I've never looked <laughs> up where he went after this. Yeah. <laughs> Notoriously well known for their gorillas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably it's probably one of those stats like when it comes to like tigers. Like there's more tigers who are like in captivity in America than there is in the world. Aye, it's probably probably, probably true of like silverback zoo. gorillas as well. There's more, more of them in Atlanta than there is in, <laughs> in to yeah. private collectors than there is in the wild. Aye, that's probably true. But yeah, I thought always thought Willie Faulkner was the kind of weird one out of those. Like the, the, the rest of them were all obviously pretty solid, sort of hard Scottish players. Generally, I can't really remember what Sean McSkimming was like, but the other the other three certainly, mm. uh, uh, and Rab Douglas as well. But yeah, Willie Faulkner stands out as the is uh, the one exception to that. But but yeah, the, given given the, the the players that they had, they, I mean, they only finished a, a, a position above where they finished the season before, and maybe. Part of that was due to the split that once they got into the top six, they ended up again playing with difficult teams. But they were they were just a bit of a basket case all season. They they didn't really have a they weren't really consistent all year. They uh, and, and they always summed up by that the the first game of the season where uh, they were away at Fir Park seemed to hammer them. Certainly going by the the highlights, they seemed to hammer them for for the first half. They went one nil up. They hit the post multiple times. Uh, then Benetti himself got sent off for two two wild lunges, uh, and then they're hanging on, and then they end up winning with a, a sort of wonder solo goal towards the end. So it seemed like a a nice summing up of that Dundee team generally. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they they, they for for all those players, I think that's the the thing that stands out about them that they didn't do anything. They they got to the fourth round of the Scottish Cup, the third round of the League Cup, they lost to St Mirren. Uh, yeah, and they did. They you know finished six and got and got into the intertotal, which they lost in the first round to a Serbian team. Ironically, the the uh, the following year. So yeah, a, a weird, a kind of weird, weird season overall, but more memorable for just the people they had than actually anything they did on the pitch. Absolutely, yeah. It's one of those kind of celebrated teams this millennium <laughs> it's just because it's just, it was just wild like it was just Dundee yeah. signed they signed Claudio Carigia for Christ's sake <laughs> like, <laughs> still one of the weirdest transfers in Scottish football history especially when he turned up and he was just you know he was saying good he was still good yeah, he's fucking class yeah. Rangers signed him yeah he's fucking oh, class yeah, that's right. yeah of course yeah yeah Right, so let's say, uh, as I said, let's finish off by telling you what Scotland were up to in this season. It wasn't a particularly happy one for the national team, despite the fact that over the course of this campaign, they would only lose one game, and that was a friendly to Australia in the November. But this came during the World Cup qualifiers, and there was one game in particular which stood out, which came on March 24th, and it was a two-all draw with Belgium at Hamden. So they were in a qualifying group with Belgium, 
Croatia, San Marino and Latvia. Now, Scotland would only end up, I think, losing one game. I think I'm right in saying. But this was the game that really cost them big because Scotland were 2-0 up, thanks to Billy Dodds. 2-0 up at half time, And the second one came about after Elik... Let's go for the pronunciationist. Elik de Flandre was sent off for a handball on the line. I, yeah, no well, idea whether that's accurate or not. <laughs> so, 2-0 up at halftime, at home, little team down to 10 men, easy Ozzy, three points, we drew it away to Croatia in our previous competitive game. So, this is like, oh, tremendous. We're going to the World Cup. They bother. Unfortunately not. Two headers from Mark Wilmots and Van Byten drew it level, the latter coming two minutes into stoppage time. And in the end, ended up being a disaster for Scotland and Craig Brown because finished two points behind Belgium and missed out on the playoffs as a result. So had they beaten Belgium, they would have finished ahead of them, would have made it to the playoffs. Croatia ended up topping the group and Scotland had no chance. And I'm fairly certain I'm right in saying that this was Craig Brown's last campaign as Scotland manager. So yeah, quite a, a very frustrating way to go out on and... When, when I mentioned this game, well, sorry, it was actually mentioned to me by Sean, like, you need to talk about this game. He says, I've barely ever been so furious leaving Hamden before than after that one. <laughs> and yeah, it does it does seem quite Scottish to to throw away a two-goal lead to a team that you... Because they drew in Belgium as well, so it's not like it was... Like, they were fluky to be ahead at the break and to have that advantage over 10 men and to not see it out, like I said, just very, very Scottish, isn't it? Yes, and interestingly, we've played them six times since and have neither uh, won, drawn, nor scored a goal against them in that time. <laughs> and we've conceded 19 <laughs> times. So we've really not had a good time of it against Belgium since this game. We won the game before, as you mentioned, uh, or did you? No, it was a game after we lost, I think you mentioned. But yeah, we won the game before, but uh, since this draw, we've, yeah, 2 nils is the best we've done against them. Aye, sorry, I said we drew in Belgium. Sorry, that's not correct. We drew in Croatia and we drew at home to Croatia as well. So we're undefeated against the group winners, but lost in Belgium and threw away this game. So that was that was what did it for this group. Yeah, and I think it's also the... It was maybe a, still a period where we thought it's, only, it's a matter of time before we're at a tournament again. And then we tried something else after Craig Brown and realised that there was, there was no one else coming through. And uh, yeah, so this was... Not not only was this a sore point, this campaign never really got as good as this campaign for quite a while. Yeah, because they brought in Vokes after this, and then it was... But also, it was not just Vokes, it was the fact that you even look at the, the teams for this game, like, still a lot of old players. like Colin Yeah, Hingu. that's what I was meaning, there was nothing coming through. So it's partly, like, a lack of talent coming through, and Craig Brown sticking with the same thing for a long time, which had worked for him, so... Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And uh, yeah, just not a lot of talent coming through. But right, that'll do us. Thank you very much for listening to us. We'll just wrap this up in time for Andy to say goodbye. He needs to leave. Goodbye. <laughs> and say <laughs> goodbye to Craig Cairns as well. Cheers. See you later on, Fowler. And hi, I'm Craig Fowler. <laughs> and thank you for listening and watching. And join us again next time. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.